Say this about the coronavirus pandemic of 2020. Everyone is having new and unexpected experiences. Like it or not, they're causing all of us to look at the world and our communities in different ways. Life in the time of a public health crisis is our topic this week. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Tuesday Talk podcast. I'm Max Jones, editor of the Tribune Star in Terre Haute, Indiana, and I'll be your host. Before we get started, let me remind you that this podcast will be released on Tuesdays. We launched this project last week, and the feedback from listeners has been positive and encouraging. We thank you for that. Each episode of Tuesday Talk will focus on topics of community interest and will feature interviews with those closest to them. The segments will be posted at the Tribune Star's website at tribstar.com and will also be available wherever you get your podcasts. My guest for this episode is Democratic State Rep Tanya Pfaff, Terre Haute's representative in the Indiana House of Representatives. Rep Pfaff is serving her first term in the General Assembly and is seeking re-election this year. She is unopposed in the upcoming Democratic primary. Rep Pfaff is joining us by phone. Welcome, Representative Pfaff, and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know what? What some people may not remember is that not only are you a state representative, but you're also a high school math teacher at Terre Haute North. Uh, and as a teacher, I, I would love it if you could describe for us what it's been like watching the school year come to a sudden stop when the schools were closed down. And, and, and how are you adapting to the remote teaching responsibilities that were thrust on teachers during this public health crisis? Well, so session ended March 11th, which was a Wednesday night, and uh, we were due back in, I was due to go back to school Monday, uh, the 15th, and that was the day that all the schools closed down. So as you can imagine, it was a little strange for me personally, because I have 80 students that I've never met. So from a traditional lecture approach to online has really definitely been a challenge, I think, for everyone. Um, I don't know how you can prepare for this kind of pandemic. You really can't. But I will say as teachers, you know, it's one of the best things about teaching is when you're standing in the class and you're looking for understanding, you know, your students nod, confused, and then you, you guide your lesson that way. So it's really difficult to, to guide a lesson when you can't see who you're teaching to. So saying that, um, we've all adapted. We've been flexible and, and creative. And some people are making connections during, you know, a Zoom meeting or taking themselves and teaching. Um, I personally, you know, I feel kind of more available because I have a lot of high school students at work. And, you know, they, they work all day and they start their math at 10 o'clock at night. So I'm getting emails and I'm, I find myself typing things like, no, no, you have to take the square root of both sides, not just one side. <laughs> so it, it's definitely been uh, an adjustment for all of us uh, during this pandemic crisis. Well, how do the students seem to be adapting to it? Have you, do, you, do you note anything specific about their stress levels or their anxiety, or how are they interacting toward you? So, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, everyone has... Most students are doing fine, 
But I, I also, many have reached out and said, look, I'm really struggling right now. Um, and I have more time. And of course, absolutely, you know, um, it, it's, it's a fine line between trying to figure out how to encourage students to keep working and knowing that they just can't for different reasons. Uh, we struggle with connectivity for um, broadband in this county. And so some, some people just don't have the access to the internet. And, and that's been a huge challenge. But I, I would say that the majority of the students are doing what they need to do. And we finish next week. So I think everyone will be able to kind of breathe a sigh of relief and look forward to fall. Well, looking ahead to the to the fall, uh, what do you think the challenges teachers are going to face if the start of the next school year gets delayed in some fashion? You know, I, I know that the uh, the Department of Education and superintendents all over the state they're trying to plan for many different scenarios, right? So we could open in August, we could open after Labor Day. Your student might uh, go to school one day and then stay home for remote learning a day. So I think uh, the biggest challenge is for all of us to maintain academic integrity. You know, we as teachers really want our kids to learn. We don't want them to fall behind. And so I think personally one of the biggest challenges is just going to try to be able to keep our curriculum going where students, you know, we're all, they're going to have a gap, right? So this last three months is going to have a, a, an impact on their education. So the challenge when we do open is going to be how do we play catch up while still uh, sort of pushing our students on to get up to speed and where they need to be. Well, it's what's really interesting to me looking at things from your standpoint. Uh, you're finding yourself trying to navigate issues related to the to the pandemic, not only as a teacher and a parent of school-aged children, but also as a member of the Indiana House of Representatives. Uh, how do you view your current role in the public policy arena, and what kinds of issues are you keeping your eyes on? Well, I, I think our county has done a really good job. You know, the Vigo County Health Department's doing great. The commissioners are doing great. Uh, the governor has outlined very specific things that we need to be doing. So, as, you know, it's interesting because the governor has total control uh, over all the decisions during this pandemic. Now, I say that it's neither good nor bad. Um, I personally wouldn't want 150 General Assembly people trying to uh, <laughs> help me make every decision. So saying that my role as a state representative has, has been more... I've been dealing with a lot of constituent issues, a lot of unemployment issues, and um, contacting the Department of Workforce Development. Uh, I've had a lot of phone calls about local businesses wanting to open and churches, and then people telling me about, you know, people that aren't social distancing. And most people just want to sort of be heard in some capacity and want uh, us all to return to some type of normal. Now, saying that, I also understand that I'm not sure there ever will be a type of normal. I, I think if, you know, there's the amount of information that is being, that's coming through right now through, you know, the internet and through newspapers and, and the television, it's very confusing for a lot of people. So I find my role more of a listening person and I listen and try to guide people and, and comfort them 
and then I take their complaints and I move it up the chain of command so that the governor gets to hear those. Well, it is interesting, though, that, that you really are hearing from your constituents and their concerns are kind of across the board, but with some uh, fundamental messages. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, this particular crisis has placed an extraordinary amount of pressure uh, and responsibility on elected officials, uh, none more, as you mentioned, uh, than governors of states across the country. So I'm going to give you a chance here to assess Governor Herrick Holcomb's performance so far in, in dealing with this pandemic in Indiana. You know, I, I really think Governor Holcomb has done a great job so far with this crisis. He, he surrounded himself with a, an excellent team, um, including, you know, Tara Hotel Dr. Christina Vox. And uh, his daily briefings are, you know, they're straightforward. He's using a lot of data-driven decisions, which I, the math teacher, really appreciate. And I, I think he's really done a good job these last two months. Now, saying that, as we attempt a reopening, um, I, like anyone else, have a lot of concerns. Um, I still don't think we're testing enough. And our COVID-19 numbers are not dropping. So uh, my, my personal hope is that Governor Holcomb will uh, continue to pay attention to the data and the number of cases. And uh, if we have to pause the reopening or go back to shelter in place longer, he'll, he'll make that appropriate decision for the safety of all of us. Well, I know we've, you mentioned the, the governor's recent actions that have basically rolled out a multi-stage reopening plan. Uh, and as, as we would expect, and it's happening in every state, the governor's actions are, are drawing at least some criticism in some circles, and in, in Indiana, uh, Dr. Woody Myers, the Democrat Party's presumed candidate uh, for governor, uh, and some others have questioned if the governor is being too aggressive in pushing to reopen the state. Uh, does that reflect uh, s similar thoughts that you have? And uh, specifically, where do you stand on, on, on the governor's uh, reopening plan? You know, so it's, it's kind of like swimming, right? There are three groups <laughs> of people. So you, you've got the people that once the pool opens, just want to just dive in. You've got the people that sort of dip their toe in the water. And then you have people that don't even want to put a swimsuit on, right? So <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much in the middle. Um, I, I feel that if, um, you know, the governor has a, a, has a tough, he's in the tough spot. You know, a lot of businesses, we've got the economy versus the safety of people, right? So, I mean, it's a tough decision to make. And I personally, you know, I feel that if, if businesses are following all of the safety measures that are put in place that protect not only their employees but customers, if, if they want to open and they feel safe, I, I believe that's their, their decision. And saying that if they don't want to open um, and they want to hold off a couple more weeks until we see more data, you know, I respect that as well. Myself, you know, I, I'll dip my toe in the water. I, uh, this, this week, it's been open. You know, more businesses are starting to open, and nothing has changed for me. I'm personally just not ready. I'd like to see the amount of cases go down until I'm ready to go out and, 
and actually, you know, be a member of society again. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just wait. I'll wait a couple more weeks and, and kind of let the, the data drive my actions. Well, everybody's going to be watching what's going on in, in a lot of these businesses, and they're going to be watching how people are handling this. So this next week or two um, is going to be quite curious uh, to see how people oh, handle absolutely. this. Absolutely. And I, I think really, um, you know, two months in, in your house, I, I think most people are, are just scared. And that's one of the hardest things about this pandemic is, most of us are planners. We we have these busy lives, and we're so used to planning things. And even you know, you can't even plan a vacation right now. Right. Not that you need a vacation from your house, but you know, things just even if you want to go somewhere, that state shut down. So I think um, it's all sort of manifesting on itself, and people are just really ready to get back to some semblance of normalcy. I'm just not sure when that will be. Well, the timing of this public health crisis uh, couldn't have been worse uh, coming in an election year and forcing Indiana to postpone its May primary to June the 2nd. Uh, but it has placed a more intense light on Indiana's voting process and most notably its absentee ballot rules. Are you satisfied with the way the state has handled the upcoming primary? The primary, yes. Um you know, I think moving it back to June 2nd was a, a, a really good decision. And uh, the no excuse absentee voting, you know, we I'm a member of the election committee, and we I tried to eliminate that two years ago, and there was a lot of pushback. And I think just uh, for the health and safety of Hoosiers, you know, voting from home is the, the easiest, simplest, safest way to do that right now. So only uh, 16 states still require an excuse to get an absentee ballot. And I think it's very likely that after this pandemic crisis, even those states will change their mind about that. And I think after the primary, I think uh, Hoosiers are about to show that we can safely and securely conduct an election that allows anyone to uh, absentee vote for any reason. So about a week ago, the online portal opened up where you can, from your phone, go online, request a ballot. Your signature is already on there, and it's very safe and secure. The ballot is sent to your house, and then it's already paid for, the envelope, right? So you just fill out your ballot, put it back in the mail. And so many measures have been put in place to protect against fraud <clears throat> that I, I just think it's, it's such a good way to vote. Well, you have certainly been a strong advocate for more aggressive reforms in the state's voting process. Um, so maybe you could explain to me, going forward, past the primary, uh, what do you mm -hmm. believe should happen in both the short term and the long term? Well, what I would like to see, I know there's a lawsuit that's been filed um, to get the general election, um, no excuse absentee voting as well. I don't think it should take a lawsuit. I, I think that, you know, we could do a remote special session and and change the law so that there's no excuse. The, again, the problem with this pandemic is it doesn't have, it has its own rules, right? So right. we don't know where we're going to be in November. You know, there's all kinds of data suggesting there'll be another bump. Um, we could all be down sheltering in place again. And Indiana cannot move the general election. The general election is, you know, of course, for the whole United States. 
So where we are in November, if we're in the same situation we are now, to, to me, it, it's just a no-brainer. People should stay at home and, and vote by absentee ballot. Because it, it, I, I can't stress enough, it is, it is a very safe and secure way to vote. And if anyone, you know, does some research, they'll find out that other states are doing this and not having problems. So this whole idea of a, a special session of the legislature, you believe uh, could be done in a remote fashion? You know, two months ago, I would have said no, but um, I'm sure you've been a member of a, lots of Zoom meetings, or uh, <laughs> and it, it, it is an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting way to conduct business. That yes, I, I do think there are ways to handle this going forward. Now, best case scenario, you know, the governor has said by July 4th we're going to be mask-free, and if that's the case, we could always meet in August and take care of business, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, the, um, the whole idea of a special session of the legislature, I, I know I've heard it said before, people say, be careful what you wish for, uh, <laughs> because... <laughs> Uh, once that session opens up, uh, any number of things could happen, right? Sure, sure. Well, voting by mail hasn't strictly been a partisan issue in this state. I, I know that uh, State Senator John Ford has actually spoken, spoken quite articulately in favor of uh, vote by mail. Uh, but there are those uh, around who are either passionately against it or have reservations about it. So when you encounter someone who is dubious about such a bold reform, how do you explain to them why voting by mail is a good idea and why they shouldn't be fearful of that process? You know, I again, I'm just going to go back to numbers. If so many states are doing it, right? You can't, there's just not the fraud that people have been told that there is. There is a, a system, a very meticulous system put in place for, you have to, um, you know, I'm not being very articulate here, sorry. You have to take the person's signature that they registered with and you have to match it on the ballot. You know, it is a time intensive um undergoing for the clerk's office to have to do this you you can't just get other people's identification and get ballots for them and vote the mail for them so for me it's it's just it's something that's already in place in many states colorado their whole state is vote by mail so is montana and you know these states are successfully doing this and i just don't understand why why indiana hoosiers want to do it the old-fashioned way with when there's no threat of any kind of voter fraud. I keep getting the image thrown back at me when we talk about issues like this, of the uh, of there will be a garage somewhere with 3,000 votes in it and <laughs> one person in there casting all these votes and it's going to swing an election. And, uh, you know, once you put your, put your uh, chin back up in your face, you... You, you have to try kind of explain that that's just not possible. Do you encounter that sort of bizarre response? No, no, just a, a lot of random comments that people say, you know, people would 
be voting from their graves, and that's, that's just <laughs> simply not possible. Um, what, I, what I do want to add on to the primary is that I think people, um, because of the number of people that are absentee voting, in the state of Indiana, the clerk's office cannot start counting the ballots until Election Day. So um, I'd be surprised if we even know um, Election Eve the results. Because so when the ballot comes in, you know, they have to review it, they have to approve it, they have to open up the ballot, they have to tabulate the vote, and then they have to organize all the ballots. So I'm sure this is going to be very uh, manpower intensive for the clerk's office. All, you know, every clerk's uh, office across the state is going to have to be doing this. I know uh, Wisconsin had a huge, you know, of course they voted in person, but they also had a huge uh, absentee voter in, and it took them, I believe it was almost a week before they could declare their winner. So I, I think it's important for people to remember that um, election night is not, on June 2nd, is not going to look normal. My guest has been State Representative Tanya Pfaff of Terre Haute. Thanks so much for participating in our podcast and sharing your views. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. Stay safe, stay at home. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Tuesday Talk. We'll be back soon. I hope you'll join us. For the Tribune Star, this is Max Jones. Until next time.